have one with you and turn to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. I want to thank the pastor for letting us come and for having the faith to have a meeting like this to start with. And I want to thank you for uh, trusting your pastor. These, uh, these have been very, very unusual days. And um, every decision is a huge decision, you know? Um, it's funny, I don't think that these people would be watching, but I've had hardly anyone, and we've, we, you know, here's one thing I learned during the pandemic, I've got to do what, what God tells me to do for our church. So I can't worry about the church across town or the one down the street, uh, they're, whether they're starting, whether they started up before us or they're still not open, I, I can't worry about all that stuff. I, I've got to do what God tells me to do for our church. And so uh, we... When we came back inside, it was much like what you're doing. We have pews instead of chairs, so we had every other pew roped off. And uh, we had masks in the lobby, and we didn't, we didn't require masks. We had some people that wore them. We had many people who didn't. We had hand sanitizer and, and, the, and the whole nine yards. And uh, in, all the, in all this confusion, I, no one has come to me and said, I don't, I don't agree with what you're doing. But I know that they talk to each other. You know what I'm saying? I was talking to a couple one night, they were having, they were having a spat, and they called me, and uh, this was not unusual for this particular couple to do this. They, they get in a fight, so they call me and put it on speakerphone. No kidding. And uh, so they're going back and forth at each other and, and, uh, and, and uh, you know, asking me my opinion. I'm the referee, I guess, and, and uh, so... The wife said, and he's been talking bad about you. And he said, I have not. What do you talk about? I hadn't talked. You know, when we went to church that first time and he didn't make everybody wear a mask, you said he was stupid. And, uh, you know, so you know, you know that, that everybody has opinions about things. Uh, but thank you for just supporting and praying and working your way through it as a church. I believe this. I believe I speak. I know I speak for our church. I believe I speak for yours that when all of this is said and done, we're going to come out stronger on the other side. I truly believe that. I think it's time of purging. And I, I think we're going to lose some people uh, who really like having church in their pajamas with a cup of coffee on their lap. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think it's what God has ordered for us. And uh, we're going to get through it. And we'll be better for it. And He has a way of doing that. He has a way of doing that. We're so honored to be here. Thank you, Pastor, for letting us come and your hospitality. And uh, I want to be a help this morning. And uh, I'm not going to be any longer this morning than I have been the other two nights. Many of you have not been able to be here till, till today. But uh, in Matthew chapter 26, it is a very familiar story uh, about a very familiar place. This place is called Bethany. Supper's over. Jesus as is at the home of Simon the leper, a man whom our Lord had no doubt healed. And Lazarus is there, the man whom just days before Jesus had raised from the dead. And I want you to think about how sweet it must have been in that room. As they're there sharing this meal, and, and uh, this, this certain group of people who have gathered together, Mary inconspicuously reaches down, possibly into some kind of bag, Today, they would call it a purse, and she pulls out an alabaster box. It was clear stone. It was very costly. 
She breaks the box and begins to pour that ointment on the head of the Savior. John's account said that it ran down his body and she knelt at his feet and wiped the Lord's feet with her hair. It was an amazing, amazing moment in Mary's life. And by the way, one that touched the heart of Christ. So much so, as we'll see later on in the message, that he said, I want this event to be recorded and I want it to be repeated everywhere forever. I'm going to pray. We're going to jump into it. And, uh, and, and, we're, and this will all tie into our theme. We do want to do more uh, to reach the world with the gospel. Thanks for having Dennis and Holly. They're out of our church. Every Wednesday, we finish our midweek service. We just get through about 8, uh, we start at 6.30, about 7.30. And before I leave the pulpit, I get a text every single Wednesday night from Dennis Lagos. Pastor, I think they have to get up early in the morning to, to view the service. Pastor, thank you for the message on prayer. Thank you for the message on forgiveness. Pray for us. And uh, they're wonderful people. Thank you for supporting them. Father, I pray you would help us in these few moments that we have. We're going to talk a little bit about sacrifice and a little bit about our responsibility and your worthiness. Lord, thank you that we can gather together for the first time on the Lord's Day with the Timberline Baptist Church, and we can sing in the midst of chaos and confusion, it is well with my soul. Thank you for your grace. Lord, I pray you would help us in these moments. Speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we think about this anointing that Mary did, the first thing I want us to talk about is, is the owner's plan. The owner's plan. Mary, that was her ointment. And I'm a, I'm a strong proponent uh, of the fact that Mary did, didn't just happen to have that box with her that day. I, I do not believe in any way that she just happened to get up. And, and, and I don't think that in any way she accidentally dropped that box and broke it and then decided, well, I might as well pour it on the Savior. No, not at all. I believe this was all in Mary's plan. I think it was all in her wheelhouse. I think Mary that day went there knowing that Jesus was going to be there and that she wanted to do something to let him know how important he was to her. Have you learned this in your life? I've certainly learned it in mine, that normally if anything good comes out of me, it is done on purpose, right? If I don't plan to do something for all these years now, we've been married uh, 37 years, for all these years now, uh, we Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, our midweeks at well Wednesday night, we're at church. Our kids never had to get up on Sunday morning and say, are we going to church today, right? They never had to do that. They never had to ask on Wednesday night, are we going to go to the midweek service? No, that was all planned. When it comes to my giving, you know that, that a long time ago, I settled in my heart that the tithe is the Lord's. A long time ago, there I had to go meddling, didn't I? Things were going really good, and then we got to talk about money. No, a long time ago, I said, you know what? The tithe is the Lord's, and, and I don't have to think about that or pray about that. I have to check my budget to see whether or not it's, there's any money left over when I get paid. No, same thing with my missions giving. That's on purpose. It's planned. And I'm here to tell you this morning that if you are going to live a life that brings honor and glory to Jesus Christ, it will be on purpose. It'll be planned. I want you to notice with me in Matthew chapter 26, look if you would 
at verse number 7. The Bible said, There came unto him a woman having an alabaster box of very precious ointment. Notice this word. Notice what it says here. And poured it on his head as he sat at meat. Suppose with me for just a moment that you're getting ready for church and you've just put the finishing touches on your appearance and uh, ladies, everything you spent time, and we praise God for it, okay? Thank God for it. Uh, You spent time getting your makeup just right, getting your hair just right. You are ready to go to church. And on your way out the door, your toddler accidentally spills something on you. Now, you're not going to be happy about it, right? But we understand kids are kids, and we understand that accidents happen, and and, and you'd be a little frustrated and disappointed and upset. But let's suppose that you spend all that time getting ready, and your toddler does not spill his red fruit punch on you. He pours it on you. You see the difference? That changes everything. And here was a woman who did not spill this ointment on Jesus, but she on purpose planned in advance to pour it on him. I want to challenge you this morning as we go about living our lives for the Lord Jesus Christ, let's do so on purpose. Let's don't live by happenstance. Let's don't just see, well, we'll see how it works out. No, let's say, hey, this is what, uh, he is my Savior, he is worthy, and I'm going to live my life for him. I'm going to give to missions on purpose, on purpose. The Bible tells us that Daniel purposed in his heart that he wouldn't defile himself with the king's meat. And we could go on. We see the owner's plan. Number two, we see the ointment's price. The ointment's price. The Bible says in verse 7, there came unto him a woman having an alabaster box. And you notice the wording here, a very precious ointment. Mark's account tells us it's worth, it was worth 300 pence. And without getting bogged down on this, they say that a penny was a day's wage back in Bible days. And so what Mary gave that day would have been the better part of a year's salary. And in one instance, she gave it. That was sacrifice. You know, I find this to be true in my life that I, if I'm not careful, I'll give my best to everything except for Jesus. I'll give my best. We give our best to our jobs. We give our best to our spouses. We give our best to our kids. We give our best to our hobbies. And then we offer the Lord whatever is left over. Something's wrong. That is completely backwards to what it ought to be. You know, I'll go to church if I don't have anything else to do. And I know I'm preaching to the choir. You're here. I understand. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I'll tithe if we've got any money left over. We'll give to missions if, if, uh, if, if everything goes okay and we have a little extra at the end of the month. And can I just say this this morning? He deserves better than that. He deserves better than that. I've been in the ministry a while, and I've watched for years as oftentimes young people graduate from high school and leave the church and go out into the world and spend the best years of their lives on themselves. And then later on come back and we're glad when they do and we rejoice and and we love them and we restore them. But it shouldn't be that way. And it ought not be that way in my life and in your life. 
but our very best ought to be given to Him. We see the owner's plan and the ointment's price, but let's notice the observers pondering. There's other people there. The Bible said in Matthew 26, 8, but when His disciples saw it, they had indignation saying, to what purpose was this waste? You ever think about this? When you put him first, good people are going to misunderstand. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. It didn't say when the Pharisees saw it. It didn't say when the Sadducees saw it. Or when the scribes saw it. It said when the disciples saw it. I can think back over our lives. And I can remember a time, my dad went to heaven four years ago this month, but I can remember a time and we were busy and involved in ministry and we had five children. And I can remember times when my dad would come to me and he would question, not in an intrusive way necessarily, but in a loving and caring way, he would question. He'd say, well, I tell you, you you keep those kids out all the time. Y'all sure are busy. Y'all go, y'all go and do a lot of stuff. And, And you know what I learned? I learned that when you do what, he asks you to do, and when you do what is on your heart to do for him, sometimes you'll be misunderstood. We know now the motive behind all of it, and we don't have time to get into this, but we know now that, that this whole deal here, Judas was upset because Judas held the money bag, right? And he said, you waste it. By the way, you can never waste anything when it's lavished on him, Right? Never, you can never waste, you you cannot give too much if it's given to the Savior. You can't sacrifice too much if it's sacrificed for Him. He alone is worthy. We need to remember that always. They pondered, they questioned. But let's think about the odor's power. Talk about being able to smell the floor. I love that smell. Now it It doesn't bother me. But that smell, you know what it smells like? Because I'm, I'm a basketball guy, and it smells like, man, this is a gym. Now, I know it's a church. I get that. I understand that. But that's when I smell that smell, I'm ready to hoop it up, man. That's what I'm thinking. And, uh, but you think, uh, you think, you think, well, something smells a little bit. We, our first Sunday, we got a, a fogger, and uh, we had some chemical. And we were going to have... Uh, uh, we had an 8.30, ser- no, a 10.30 service and a 12.30 service. And um, so a guy came in, one of our men, and he got the machine and stuff, and he fogged it. Brother, we couldn't have had church that night regardless. It was so strong. I said, he, he, fog- he fogged just a little bit of it. I said, Brandon, cut that thing off, man. We won't be able to have church till 2021 if you keep fogging this place. But, but, but this odor here, it was, it was the odor of spiked meat. I want you to notice with me, if you would, and, and if you don't want to turn there, I'll read it to you, but in John chapter 12, verse 3, the Bible said, Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spiked meat, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house, notice the wording here, the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. 
So she's got this alabaster box of ointment. She breaks this box. She goes and anoints the Lord's body. And once that box was broken and that perfume was poured out, there was an immediate fragrance that the Bible says filled the house. Do you know that when you get around people who really love Jesus, it's almost like there's something about them. It's not a physical fragrance, but but when you get around someone who really loves the Lord, who's really, really intent on serving and worshiping Jesus, it's almost like a sweet fragrance. We live out in the country, and uh, years ago, and I've told stories about, about my dog that used to bring all, he'd kill animals and bring them to the house, like dozens of them. He'd kill them and he didn't, he did he never ate them. I think he was vegan. And uh, he would kill these animals, he'd bring them, he'd leave them on the driveway. Possums, like 50-some possums. It got so ridiculous, we put a card on the refrigerator, started keeping up with how many possums. And when he died, he, he had brought in like, 50-some possums. It was, it was insane. One night, one night, he tried to bring a, pos, uh, a skunk home. That did not go so well. It must have been really close because we've got a wraparound porch around our house, and when that skunk sprayed, it, we're, we're both in a sound sleep, and it was so strong, Pastor, that my wife and I both, it was like someone had rung a bell. That's how strong this odor was. It stunk. Our house stunk. Our porch stunk. Our dog really stunk. So bad that when you would go out to get into the vehicle to go to church, if he brushed up against you, you stunk. It was awful. You remember I said that when someone, you get around someone who really loves Jesus, that it's almost like there's a fragrance. When you get around someone who lives for themselves, am I wrong, but does it not stink? When you get around someone who doesn't want to live for anyone else, they don't, they, they're all about themselves, they're selfish and self-focused and self-centered, and there is an obvious odor that, 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 that is put off by people but, oh, this, this morning, could we not say, hey, I want to be a sweet-smelling savor. I want to be a perfume. I want to be a fragrance. I want everyone to know that Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life, and he is worthy. I heard a man preach this not long ago, and he said, you know, the amount of, the amount of spikenard that Mary poured out, He said, and he, this is not proven from Scripture, he said, but he said, I believe that, that for days people would smell that spike. He said, I believe that for days, he said, I believe Jesus would, would smell that. Sometimes I'll get in my truck if my wife's been driving and, and I'll, smell, I'll smell her perfume because it's on the it's on the uh, seatbelt. Thanks. Those hard words get me every time. 
uh, and I'll smell it, and I'll, I'll say, hey, my wife's with me. Sometimes we can be at the, she works with us, and, and, and she can be in a hallway, and I can't see her, but I can, I can, I can smell her. I know that my wife has been there. And, and this preacher said recently, he said, you know, I think for, for, for a long time, Jesus would, he would smell that spikenard, and, and he would be reminded that there is a, a woman in Bethany who loves me so much that she gave me the very best that she had. It's a powerful odor. And then we find, lastly, the, the pronouncement of the only begotten. Jesus says in Mark 14, you know, we know how the disciples felt. We know what Judas had to say. We can imagine Martha, she's probably freaking out, right? Because Mary's not helping. She's in there anointing Jesus. We can imagine how she felt about it. But can I tell you what? At the end of the day, it really doesn't matter. Truthfully, it doesn't matter what you think about me or I think about you. At the end of the day, it really doesn't matter what anyone that I come in contact with thinks about me. At the end of the day, what matters is what he thinks. And the Bible tells us in this passage, in Mark 14, 6, Jesus said, let her alone. Why trouble you her? She hath wrought a good work on me. And two verses later, he said, she hath done what she could. And really, church, when it comes down to it, what your faith promise is, he would probably never know. But if he did, it wouldn't matter or not whether or not he thought it was sufficient. That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what if we, if we took everyone's faith promise and put it up on the wall. <coughs> it wouldn't matter what anybody, whether someone was impressed or whether someone <coughs> was disappointed. Really, all that matters is how he feels. So this morning, my question would be, how does he feel about my life? He knows. You know, I can, I can hop a plane and travel six hours and come to the other side of the country and come in and preach three times, and you don't know me. You, you don't know anything about me, really, other than me having been here a few times. My wife knows me better than anyone knows me, but she doesn't know my heart. She can't see my heart. But he knows. I told you the story third, Friday night about the missionary, and if you weren't here, I don't have time to give you the background, but his journeys also took him, Nick Rifkin also, also, also took him to Moscow where he met a man named Dimitri. He went into a little, I'm done, he went into a little, really hut, a little home in a small village, and Dimitri said, I, I want you to sit right here. He said to Mr. Ripkin, he said, this is where, I sat when the authorities came to arrest me 17 years ago. Dimitri was born and raised into a believing family, but communism had destroyed most of those families. By, by the time he was grown, the nearest church was a three-day walk for him, and he and his family only went once or twice a year. One day he told his wife, he said, I, I want to gather our family together three nights a week for Bible study, and and." And she said, Papa, I've been praying that we could do that. She said, when we do, can we sing those songs that you used to sing, those Jesus songs? And so Dimitri would gather his family in the living room, and, and he would teach the Bible, and they would 
began to sing those songs. It was a small village, and neighbors would hear them, and they began to ask if they could come. And he would say to them, I'm not a preacher, I'm not trained, but people came anyway. Pretty soon, 25 people were crammed into that little humble home. The government found out about it, and they said, you've started an illegal church. Dimitri said, how can I start a church? I'm not a pastor. He said, I have no Bible training. I'm ministering to my family. That group of people grew to 50. So Dimitri was fired from his factory job. His boys were expelled expelled from school, and his wife lost her teaching position. That crowd grew to 75. People had nowhere to sit. One night the door burst open and he was arrested and a a little lady stepped in front of the police and said, you have laid your hands on the man of God and you will not survive. And Dimitri told Nick Rifkin, he said two days later, that officer dropped dead of a heart attack. The villagers saw that, it kind of spooked them. The next time Dimitri had his Bible study, 150 people showed. Dimitri was jailed. He was moved a thousand kilometers away from his house. He was the only Christian in the middle of 1,500 criminals. And Ripken said, Dimitri, how did you survive? He said, every morning I would stand, I would face the east, and I would sing to Jesus. He said the prisoners would curse and swear. He said they would try to shout me down. He said, but I sang anyway. He said something else I'd I did, every time I found a scrap of paper, I would smuggle it into my cell and I would write scripture on it. Every morning, I would read those little scraps of paper and I would sing those songs to my Savior and I'd be cursed. They continued to oppress him there in the prison and finally one day he broke and he said, if you'll write the confession, I'll sign it tomorrow. Tried to go to bed that night, but he couldn't sleep. He said, there's no way I can betray my Savior. What he didn't know is that a thousand kilometers away, his family sensed that there was a struggle, so they began to pray. And when they brought him the next morning with that written confession, Dimitri said, I'm not signing anything. It was time for his execution. They dragged him down the hallway. The story is told that as Dimitri was being walked down that hallway, 1,500 hardened criminals stood at attention in their cells, and they began to sing those same songs that Dimitri sang every morning. You see, your sacrifice, your obedience, your worship, it gets people's attention. They stayed the execution. Dimitri obviously was released and went back to minister. Such a simple Bible story. Can I, the title of the message, the title that I gave it, was just two words, for him. For him. Not for Timberline Baptist, not for Pastor Mason, not for the poor children in the Philippines, for the Savior. Father, I pray you would help us. I pray that you would somehow help us in all that is going on around us to keep our eyes on you. 
Jesus, you are worthy. These people came this morning. They came against odds. They came. Their, their obedience is a testimony to their belief that you are worthy. I pray you would help us as we go about our day and our week and the days and weeks ahead. And as we continue to work our way through the confusion that surrounds us, may we always recognize you for who you are. And may we always be willing to live and sacrifice for you. In Jesus' name.